Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the show. And today I have one of my dear friends, a philosophical monster. This guy gets after it philosophically, and he's just so kind and such a sweet spirit, and he's making a huge difference in the lives of the people that he works with. And he's also having a positive impact all around his area. My guest today, the one and only Mr. Joel Patrick. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. It's ex I'm excited to be on it. I've been waiting yeah, for this opportunity. Yeah, we've talked about this for a long time, right? And I got to say thank you. Uh, it was such, uh, you were such an inspiration to me in order to really get podcasting off the ground because you and I had talked about it and I'd shared with you my vision and my dream. And, and after that, shortly thereafter, you actually had your first episode done and you had me as a guest and I'm like, wait a minute, I got to get off the launching pad here. So because of your inspiration, your action, more importantly, your action over just talking about it and uh, you know, not worrying about the technology, not having the fear overcoming it is, is what's responsible for this show being done. That's has impacted however many people it's impacted at this point. So I can't thank you enough for that influence, my brother. I'm glad I could uh, be of some help. Some, uh, to be a little spark. That's, that's my goal in life to be a spark to the people around me. So I love it. Well, let's talk about some of that spark to, to give a little background, a little history. I think it's important to know um, more about you. And then we're going to talk about some of the great things that you're doing. And we, by the way, this is a really interesting show for us to do because you and I could go down about 17 different rabbit holes, which would each be their own show. So we'll try right. to somewhat limited, but I can't promise where things go because of how you and I tend to think and do things, but I'm sure it's going to be super entertaining. But for those of, of the folks around planet earth that do not know you, I would like to give a little bit of background and, and because you have some very interesting dynamics. First of all, you are the son of a professional athlete. And while that in itself is rare, you are also very, very gifted athletically. Now you also happen to have a strong personality, very charismatic, uh, super articulate, very educated as far as how you do what you do and your thought process. So you're a very unique brand of individual. I'm, I'm interested for people to hear, the listeners to hear what it was like growing up as the son of a professional athlete. And in this case, the, the, the profession or the sport was football, but um, I, I'd like to just see how did that influence you? What was it like growing up? That kind of thing. Well, it was, it was, it was fun. Uh, I think in our family, we took it, we were very casual about it and, and almost as if we were trying to hide it from people. Um, so as not to make a scene, but in Buffalo, it's kind of a, a small town feel. And when you play, even at a time when my dad was playing in the late sixties, early seventies, people knew you and um, so when that time had passed, by the time I came along in the eighties, the people who watched my dad knew who he was, but the people who didn't, the people around, um, in between my dad, my parents' age and my age, they kind of got lost in the shuffle. They didn't really know who he was. So if they didn't watch football and didn't pay attention to it, uh, it was a surprise whenever they would find out. I know some people who say they knew my parents for six years before they found out that my dad was a football player because they weren't football fans. Um, <laughs> so we, we were very casual about it. And I only saw him as dad. I didn't, I never got to see him play because 
he played in the 60s and 70s, like I said, and I was born in 1980. But there's still that I knew who he was. And I think the people around us that knew, that knew who he was and what he was all about, they thought of him as a, a cool because he was a football player. But I think the biggest thing was that he was a hero to a lot of people in other ways. He was a hero um, spiritually, emotionally. He was always there for people. And he was kind of this mythical creature to the people around him because he was, I mean, he was, his playing weight in the late 60s, 70s was six, one and a half, 250 pound running back. And that's big to this day. That's big right now. (laughs) It is. It is. And he still ran, he was still running four or five at that size back then. (laughs) And um, he, so he was, he was just this massive guy. His hands were enormous. And that'll be the first, the two things people talk about him are his smile and his hands. And they say you get lost in, in his, when he shakes your hand, your hand disappears and just his smile would light up a room. And so he became this, uh, this mythological creature to people because he was able to do things that other people weren't, but he had this incredible insight and he was so warm. He was a huge teddy bear that it was like an, an anomaly to people who had never seen it up, up close and personal. And so it was nice. Um, it was nice to grow up in the same house as my hero. Let's put it that way. Oh, Joel, what a great description. So that begs me to ask, tell, tell us about the other parts of your family, mom, siblings, that kind of thing. How did that dynamic work? Because your dad obviously was the, the north pointing part of the compass where he was the big draw. He was the energy. He was the, you know, the driving force of things. But I know that, you know, the way that you are as a human, your mom had to play a significant portion of, of your uh, your development and your process and, and then siblings, you know, I, I really don't know much about your siblings. <laughs> well, uh, they, my mom, her, she likes to call herself mercy mom. And that being because she was the woman in church that everybody brought their kids to for discipline. And <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, if you don't stop acting up, I'm going to take you to Mrs. Patrick and the kids would just instantly. Okay. No, 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 no. I, I, I'll be good. I'll be good. Uh, but even though she was, my parents are both from the South, my dad from Gainesville, Florida, my mom from Louisville, Kentucky. And she was a Southern black woman who grew up in the fifties and sixties. Um, and she carried a heavy, a heavy spoon and she had a lesson to teach uh, every turn. And be, I think I learned how to teach because of her, because it, she was taking those times. And I even write about it in, in a book that I'm writing that she took those moments to teach the lessons. And it's something that I'm grateful for, for my parents, um, because they, they did carry a, a, a heavy, a heavy spoon or a, a belt, but it was followed with love and education. It wasn't just about discipline and get you to act right. It was about, I need to guide you on the path where I can provide and protect, protect for it, protect you. And that's what they've, they've done my whole life. They've taken care of me. They've sacrificed to uh, make sure that I got to pursue my dreams. My dad worked at a, at a plant as a, a supervisor 
after he played after football and he was well-respected there, but he worked a ton of overtime to provide for myself and my brother and my two sisters. And, uh, it was, they were just a good balance. They didn't have, they didn't have it easy, but they sure made it look easy. And so I'm, I'm so grateful for my parents. I'm so grateful for how they did what they had to do, uh, for their kids and their, their, their children and their children's children. It wasn't about what they could do to make themselves happy in the moment. It was about how do we position ourselves for the generation after us to position themselves to do better every time. And when I tell, talk to people about my family, I said, that's the example I follow in terms of if something is going to go right in my life, it's because I prioritize and I create the disciplines that I want uh, that, that line up with the dreams that I have for not just myself, but for my kids. And so if that means that I don't get to live in a million dollar home, if I get my, if I give my children an opportunity to live in a million dollar home, I'm happy. And I learned that from my family, um, from my parents. Wow. Um, so let me ask you this. What about, what about siblings? Where were you in the pecking order? Um, and, and it's obvious again, just from talking to you with the way that your spirit exudes this kind of message, you've spent a lot of time on yourself along with what your, your parents delved in to you and, and infused in your life. What about the, the relationship that you had as, as kids? Were you the kind of leader, the dominant of, of your, of your sibling group or where did that shake out? So I am the youngest of four. So it was my brother then two sisters and then myself, there's eight years between the two sisters. And so it, it, it was, my brother was born in 69, my sister in 70, and then my other sister in 78. And then I was in 80. And so there was kind of, kind of like two families, like two groups of kids. Right. Um, I think where um, something that my parents didn't have that I had to teach myself was they had the hard work. They had the hard work down pat. And my, my brother and my sisters have the hard work down pat. What they don't, what they didn't know how to give me was the creativity to create a different life. And that's something that I've been working on because, and I, and I only had the opportunity because from where I was, I was the most like my dad. I was the most gifted and I had a dream to be like my dad. I had the, the gifts that I was, I was a, the best mover I knew. I, I wanted to, to be like my dad where he had that platform as an athlete to be, be able to speak into people's lives. And so I had a dream. And though, even though I was the goofy one in the family, I was also the most serious. Like I was super focused my entire life to the point where, there were times where people didn't know I was, if I was having fun because I was just so focused and so driven. And so that for my, my, my siblings, they kind of went down the path of, well, this is what we're supposed to do and we'll work hard. And if things fall into place, then it'll happen for me. It was like, well, I have to make this dream happen. And so what do I need to do to make it happen? And so there were all my decisions were, well, how am I going to create this platform where I can speak into people's lives? And when I, I thought it was 
was football or baseball, but turns out it was turning into something else. So I'm sure we'll get to that. In yeah. The, in the yeah. Let, let, let's explore that in just a moment. And so there's a, there's a point in time from where you were then Joel, the athlete, Joel, the guy who's chasing after the dream. And then there's where you are now, where it's the Joel Patrick, who's changing people's lives by changing how they think and how they look at dis- how they look at disappointment. There's something that that did not equate from step one where you thought you would be to step two. Walk me through that process of when something started changing. Like, well, I may not be a an athlete because right up to right now, to everything you've said, everyone listening to this is going to say he ended up as a pro athlete. <laughs> so tell tell us how that thing shifted. Um. It, it was, it was interesting because, um, we, we, people have to understand that they're influenced by a lot of different factors. And, and some of those factors are where you grow up, like who you're around. And my best friends when I was a kid were playing baseball and I, I, I wanted to play baseball with my friends and I wasn't the, for some reason I was not the toughest kid. And so I quit football when I was seven and I, I was playing baseball my whole life. And I started, it started, I started down this path where I mentally just started losing, losing it. There was a guy from the, the Yankees named Chuck Knobloch who, who couldn't throw from second base to first base. And it was just this mental game that he had. And although mine wasn't quite that extreme, um, my, I was, I found myself uh, an extremely gifted mover. I was fast. I could jump. I was strong. When I was five years old, my mom made me go around and flex for everybody, but I was, (laughs) I was, I was gifted, but I found myself playing a game where I couldn't just impose my will upon people. And it was a mental, a mental game more than anything. And I never learned how to play the mental part of the game. I never knew that I could control my thoughts and and I could um, change my focus. I didn't know that. And part of that is you've asked me before coming up with a, a professional athlete for a dad, how did that impact me? Well, one of the ways that it impacted me was my dad was so gifted I tell people he almost succeeded as an athlete in spite of himself because it wasn't necessarily his dream and his focus. It was just, he was so good. It just kept drawing him back in. And so he didn't, because it was so natural for him, he, I don't think he was, he knew how to teach me the mental part of the game. And so that being baseball, which was a mental part of the game, it started I I started going down this path where I just couldn't get myself out of it. And I can remember it started like my junior year of high school and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse where every strikeout was, I, I equated it to me being a failure and it just got worse and worse and worse up until I was done after college. And, um, I ended up after college, I ended up going and trying out for an indoor football team 
in Syracuse, New York. And I played a year there and decided, you know, instead of chasing these dreams, it's time for me to, to, to grow up and be uh, an adult. And wait, wait, wait. I, but I got to stop you here. Here's the irony of this for me. And I certainly want to delve into the disappointments, the fear, the mind thing that we talked about. But if anybody's listening, the, the thing that you have to understand right now, what this man just said, he said, I played baseball through high school, through college. I struggled with this same issue, but I persisted. I just didn't know how to fix it. I didn't have the tools. And then I thought, I'm just going to go play some football. But he said he quit football at seven. So you tell me the kind of athleticism you have. Play baseball, leave football behind for literally 15 years or more, and then let's go walk on and make and play on a football team. Dude, that's insane. And I'll just throw in, I caught a touchdown pass my first catch after 15 years. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> Oh, and the cornerback after I scored the touchdown, the cornerback was like, um, "What did you do to me?" Because he was completely lost when I ran the route. But that's beside the point. <laughs> what a great story, man! That's great. So, so at that point, just before we dive into the mindset stuff, did you want to play football more? You said that you decided you needed to kind of pursue, for for lack of a better term, adult things. What was it that made you say, "Eh"? You know, that, yeah, I can do this, but not really what I want to do. Did you not see that you could make it to the league or it just wasn't worth the, the, the effort you would have to do to get as really as good as you thought you could be? Or, or did you think, eh, just not that fun? Um, I think that like a lot of people, things come at us that cause us to give up on our dreams. And I ended up playing with a coach who he was, it was interesting because I, I played for the head coach of our football team was a wide receiver. He played a little bit in the NFL and he had something against me. And my dad always talked about, it. he said that that dude is so jealous because he knows that you have something that he didn't have. And, and then growing up, my parents would always tell me how great I am. And I just didn't believe them because they were, they were my parents. And I was, I was pretty aware of, of people's, uh, the way that people talk to their kids and how they talk them up. And I, so I didn't realize that my dad was speaking from the standpoint of he was one of the elite athletes in the world being an NFL football player and around elite athletes. These are the best. I mean, he played with OJ Simpson, one of the greatest athletes in NFL history. And so when he's talking to me about how good I am, I couldn't receive that. And so when, when I, when I played for this guy, I was, we were, we would practice in our defense who happened to be one of the best defenses in the league. Couldn't stop me in practice. But this, this the coach, the head coach, who happened to be the wide receiver coach, kept jerking me around and and not playing me. And and guys from the other side of uh, the ball on our team would come over and ask, like, well, why aren't you playing? Why aren't you in the game? Like, we can't we can't stop you. Why aren't you in the game? And so I think what happened at that point was it confirmed for me 
his lies confirmed for me what I always believed about myself, that I was a failure, that this was, this wasn't the thing for me to do. And it'd be better for me before I get too far behind in life. I better stop doing this and move on to something new. So I think that's where it was. So it was a, a tragic story that ended up turning out good for you, Joel, because at, at that time you started really understanding some of the mechanics of, of moving and of being a great, um, a great athlete. And I will tell you for everybody listening, I love to teach, speak and communicate. It's, it's, it's literally one of the things that gets me up every morning, whether it's individually in a small group or even better for me in, a, in front of a large audience. I've gotten a chance to do that for a long time, very many times. And it's just, it's really home for me. And I will tell you, Joel came to uh, where, where we met was at a place called Project Move, which is a gym that I had opened. And it was an athlete's gym that happened to have a CrossFit um, label on it, but it was really about athleticism. And so Joel had come out to uh, help us grow that and develop it. And we offered a, Joel, you remember this, I, I think, we offered yeah. a community event day where we provided all these instructional seminars about this, that, and the other thing so that it was a way for us to say thank you to our members and the community around us who, who you know, put up with us being there. And right. So several of us did talks and there were some people, um, myself and, and two other guys there that we had taught around the country on various different items and one guy around the world. And we had a, we had our time up on stage and then steps up Joel Patrick. <laughs> I will never forget standing by Steve Capobianco, who is the guy that uh, he works for a company called rock tape. He'll be on the show one of these days and he has taught all over planet earth. And he and I were standing there, Joel, as you were up, doing that program, showing about movement and how you can't do this and how you could do that. And we were literally mesmerized <laughs> by the way you delivered that message. That movement message came across like a preacher delivering the gospel in a way that <laughs> people just, they just gravitated to it. It was something like I, it was so unique to me that you were given this gift of sharing and, and helping people get it. And so I I'm really want to want to thank you for that, number one. But then to say, you know, even guys with your talent have this mindset that you have to overcome. And disappointment, you and I have talked about this before, disappointment has been something that now has fueled you. At, the, at one time, it kept you down. And then right. somehow you turned it. You, a switch came on and you started turning that into fuel. I'd love for you to share that message with folks on the podcast. Well, first of all, thank you that for you to say that as a, a master communicator and um, you got you and Steve, both communicators and movement specialists for you guys to say that um, I'm honored to have caught your eye in that in that regard. Um, but, but it's I think I have like my dad in in spite of some of the decisions that he made, uh, he was a successful athlete in, in terms of what success is. The NFL being the average length of a career being two and a half years, he played six uh, as a fullback. And he, uh, he 
to tell you what I mean by decisions, when he was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, he left training camp because he missed my mom. And my mom, again, to talk a little bit about my mom, my mom told him, are you crazy? Get back to camp before they cut you from the team. Like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? He goes back to camp and they ended up cutting him at the end, but they really, they really liked him. They kept him around to the end of camp because they really liked him, but they had to make an example of him. But he got picked up by the Bills, uh, played five years there, got traded, got played a year with the Patriots and got hurt. And he, he kind of did stuff like that. And he came back to what his, his, he was, he was good. He was gifted. And I think for me, as much as I tried to lay it down, lay down the dream, there was always something stirring inside of me that it, it there, I'm here to help people to do something um, crazy, crazy big. And it just kept drawing me back in. And the, as the message, as it's, as I started to, to realize my gifts of speaking and communicating with people, I started, I started wondering what the message would be. And as I started thinking on the message and struggling through now a, a, an adult career, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life and kind of being every time I tried to put it down, keep being drawn back into to movement and teaching movement and being a strength coach and speed coach. And it just kept pulling me back in and pulling me back in. And every time it pulled me back in, I was able to, to uh, kind of connect something from the past. And as the message has grown, it's been that message of the mental struggle. And I started to realize that my battle was with my imagination and with a lot of people. And as I work with movement and I work with people who are trying to reach goals, I'm seeing this pop up and it's helping me to refine the message, but I'm seeing it mirroring my life in the struggles that I went through. And I noticed how, because I didn't understand that I had control of my mind and that it was my job, to tell my brain, to tell my body what to do. It was, I didn't have that skill. I started wanting to teach that to people and explore it as I started to learn more about it and playing baseball, all the, the lessons that I can look back and say, Oh, if I only knew this, I could have used it in baseball. Well, I don't have baseball now. So how do I use it moving forward? And so I'm creating this message of using your imagination for good because our, everybody's using their imagination. We're taking in so much information and we're constructing these, these stories, these movies in our, our head about from the things that in the past for, and the things that are happening around us, the information we're consuming on the internet. And then we're projecting that into the future and we're, we're creating this movie of all the negative things that are going to happen because we're not taking captive all of those thoughts. And so my message has been, as I've seen that in my life, my, my messages have been formed from me trying to figure out, well, how do I stop doing that now so that my future is different from my past? So and you, so that's where the message started to form. I got to ask it because people who are listening to this may say, yeah, that sounds all well and good. And we all want to do that you're learning this now at this stage in your life 
how can people start learning that now? Two, two part question, Joel, for you. One mm -hmm. is the importance, what, what I'm hearing you say is something that I believed in a long time and, and I have this as part of my big dream list and I think I talked about it with you when you had me a, a guest on your show and it was the importance of youth mentorship, specifically mm -hmm. in helping these kids believe and understand what their potential is and not blowing smoke up their skirt, but <laughs> literally saying, I see this in you because every one of us has greatness and it doesn't express itself in, a, in, in the same way. In your case is athletics and someone else's case could be art, someone science and someone, you know, music, who knows, but everybody has some shred of greatness and they need someone who like your folks, they brought that forth, but on the other side, they also need to be able to coach them on how to use this mental, this imagination and this mental strength has to be developed like any other muscle. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to hear if you can give some specifics to our audience of how do we create um, imagination, harness it and use it for, for our highest and best good. So I've been working on a, a model for it, if you will, a methodology that started with movement and I'll start back where it began. It started with movement because one of the things that I have been good at is instructing a diverse group of people in one class and reaching them all where they are and progressing them all to the next level in a safe, efficient manner. And people were drawn to my classes because of that. And I started, and as I started to explore, well, what's, what's the capacity, what's my capacity for something like this? And, and you, you say, well, how do I influence the most amount of people? Well, if I'm coaching one class at a time, that's, that's the extent of my influence. How do I make it go bigger? And so I, I, I wanted to relay that to some instructors that I had working for me in Buffalo so I had to really break down what made my class work, what, what made my style work. And there's what I found was that every movement, you can take any movement and you can find uh, exercises that build up towards that movement. Uh, and you don't have to sequester someone in a corner and say, okay, you're incapable of executing this movement. Let's push you to the corner. And then whenever you're good enough, you can come back and do the real exercise. I had to, I had to find ways to get people moving and stay moving while they're progressing towards that, what I call a culminating activity. And so I found that every exercise has, has three components to it, three building blocks. It has a strength component, it has a functional component, and it has a power component. And as I started building that model for movement, I started realizing how that translates into every area of life. And it translates because the, the culminating activity is what we want to visualize for ourselves. Where do we want to be? And if you can figure out where you want to be, which takes a lot of mental power, just figuring that out, you can start building on building on building those three, three, uh, blocks out for yourself. And what they look like is in any endeavor that I choose to pursue, I first have to feel 
that I can act on that endeavor. I have to feel empowered. I have to feel capable. So that's the power, power part of the pyramid, what I call the pyramid of proficiency. The, and bef- but before you even get to that ability to act on that vision of yours, you have to understand that you're not, you don't feel confident in acting on that ability because there's something limiting you. And in most cases in our lives, there's a habit, there's a, a, a lack of discipline, there's something hindering us from feeling that confidence to be able to move into that vision. And on top of discovering what that limitation is, we also have to build capacity to be able to uh, uh, act on that vision that we have. And so this pyramid of proficiency you have at the top, you have the culminating activity and the pyramid below it is you have a strength or the ability to, or to build capacity. You have your function, remove limitations, and you have your power, the ability to act on that. And I found that each, even those break down into the same elements, your capacity, you have to build capacity in some way, you have to remove the limitations and you have to create this confidence. This, uh, you have to feel like you have the ability to act on, on that. And so where I start people off is let's start by creating a vision. Let's start by creating something that you can focus on and you can keep your focus on as you build day to day. Uh, because a lot of times we like to focus on all the things that don't work and don't fit but you and I have talked about uh, uh, the, one of the great books is Psycho-Cybernetics. Yes. And, and w- w- he talks about in that book that a, a torpedo that has never been to the destination, it knows where it's going, not just because of the destination in front of him, but it knows what, doesn't, but what information doesn't line up with the target. And so it autocorrects all the way until it gets to that target. And so rather than us focusing on the things that we don't want in our lives, if we can focus our imagination and our energy on the thing that we want, we can easily, we can be more adept at discarding the things that don't line up in our life. And so I teach people to build a mental movie in their, in their minds and create a space that they can sit down and they can convince their entire being of a, a, a reality that doesn't yet exist. And so as you sit and you think about where you want to be, let's say in 90 days, I work in 90 day increments with people. And I say, 90 days out, what is the, per- where am I? What am I doing? I, I'm going to, I'm going to, play out the perfect day in my mind. I'm going to smell what's in the air. I'm going to focus on what I see. I can, I'm going to listen to the noises. I'm going to touch and feel the flowers. If I'm wherever I am, I'm going to feel the ground under my feet and I'm going to add emotion to it. And by doing that, your, your brains, because your brain doesn't know the difference between uh, what's real and what's fake. That's what makes fear so powerful. But if you can tell your mind, take your mind and tell your brain what the feelings that you want to have and and the focus that you want to have, then your brain starts telling your body that this is the direction that we're going. And so that's where I start people off and I I get them to start being quiet and and blocking out all the stuff that they don't want in their life. Even if it's just for five minutes a day, it's a start. And from there, we can then build the, the 
disciplines. We can create disciplines off of that. So I can figure out, well, what's keeping me, what do I, if, if that's where I want to be in 90 days, in 60 days, what would give me this feeling that I could act upon that? And then I, they have to really think about, well, where do I have to be? And it's not that I'm going to force myself to be that person. It's just giving me something to create disciplines. I'm going to, if I want to be Dr. Jim Hoven, I'm going to study Dr. Jim Hoven and figure out what he's doing. And then I'm going to do those disciplines. I'm going to pick one discipline that he does and, and work on that for 30 days. And so I try to get people to understand you're focused on the future, but you're where your feet are. And all you can do right now where your feet are is simple disciplines, consistent disciplines over time. And so with this model, that's what I hope to do with people is get them to realize there's something that I'm doing that's keeping me from that vision. And there's something that I can be doing that can move me closer towards that vision. And if I can do that consistently enough for a long period of time, I can see those incremental uh, growths, growth patterns in my life. And so that's really where my model has come from. And that's what I've, I've started to teach people on. And it all started back with teach, teaching people how to move. But really right now, it's teaching people how to be efficient learners and efficient live efficiently in their life. Dude, that's amazing. I'll, I'll tell you, there's a lot to unpack right there. And, and I think um, one of the big points I took from that to kind of connect the dots between your, your, your kind of pyramid of between power, strength, function, and where imagination sits in that so many times we don't have control of our minds and to understand we, we don't even realize it right and i am a perfect example of this joel where my mind is always turning it's always working for the most part that serves me well because it's about ideas it's about communicating it's about how to make people's lives better by living my mission of positive impact most of the time it's good but there's a point where we all need silence and one of the big things that i've been working on recently is meditation and i've tried this off and on for decades. And it's just something that, you know, there's an Alanis Morissette song, an old one, that my wife reminds me of one particular line in that song all the time, where she says, why are you so petrified of silence? And because I get home and I want to, you know, turn on the TV, turn on music, just not even if I'm watching, but just to have something going to stimulate, right? And she's right, right. Like, why are you so petrified of silence? And, and I got to thinking about that, Joel, and I'm going, you know, I need to erase like an etch-a-sketch my mind sometimes so that it just lets it filter like a, like a filtering system for water. By the time it goes through the first layer of rocks into the sand and through that really fine silt, when it comes out the other side, it's something pure and different. And what I'm finding now, I've been doing this, uh, this meditation program called Waking Up by Sam Harris, and it's fantastic. It's a, it's a little app that I, that I downloaded on my phone, and it's you know, it's a really great program and I'm a novice. And so I'm on day, I think 26 or 28 of the course and it's 10 minutes a day, but boy, I find that when I let my mind go blank, which is not easy to do. And then I just focus on the sensations that I'm feeling, the sounds that I'm hearing as consciousness with no labels to it. When I come out of that, my mind is really fresh. And I think one of the things I heard you say is that, that 
we have to take control to create the disciplines to understand we first have to have the mental piece and i think if we would all just clear our minds a little bit that that leaves more space not for what's been going wrong and some of it, but also now what what can we create with the blank space i don't know how you feel about meditation or if you've tried it but i found it to be super impactful and helpful for me over these last several weeks well, yeah, that's, and that's what the, the mental movie really is. It's, it's a form of meditation. It's, it's, it's intentional thinking. It's intentional control of your mind. And I, you know that with movement, when we, when we experience trauma, it's not that we don't have to try and experience trauma. And we don't have to try and compensate for that. We just start to compensate. And that starts to make all these adjustments in our body. It's the same thing for our, our mind. When, when we get on a path, we don't have to try and create bad disciplines. We don't have to, we're taking in so much information that we don't even know we're consuming. And our brain can't stop working. And we don't have to be intentional about the information that we take in, but we do have to be intentional about the healing. When we're changing our movement patterns, we do have to be intentional about that. And we've stopped being intentional about our thought process. The Bible calls it take captive every thought and make it obedient. And we don't, we don't do that. We, we just accept everything. Like everything can come in and do with what you want. Well, our subconscious is just going to keep working and keep distributing the information and it's going to cause stress and it's going to cause uh, um, anxiety and it's going to, to uh, cause toxicity in our bodies. We don't have to focus on all that stuff. It's just human nature. It's just what is, but the healing process has to be intentional. The recovery for your mind has to be intentional and we don't take that time. And like you said, just a few minutes a day where you can just, oh my goodness, let me, let me filter what isn't good. Let me, let me just think on something that's right, true, and noble. Let me just figure out what do I, that thing that was bothering me today, why was it bothering me? Let me, let me sit in that feeling for a minute and, and sift through it. We don't do that stuff. It was it, before when we, we, we look back at all these great writers and everything who they, they wrote in silence, <laughs> like they're, they're writing in silence and they're thinking and we we read it and we say, that is such brilliant stuff. It's where'd that stuff come from? Who knows where it came from? They, but they were able to sit in silence and they were able to think on things that weren't physically in front of them. And, and when you stop and you stop just taking in the physical information, who knows what you can discover about yourself, about anything. And that's, 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 but that's the journey. It's like, well, what's to discover about myself? What's to discover about this path that I'm on? What's to discover? What can, what if I sit silently and I, I think about how I teach my classes, could I develop the next training methodology? Maybe that's where my, my mind was going when I started working on it. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I like being quiet now. I ah. get up and I'm quiet. Um, even if I have my, for my mental movie, I actually listen, in, listen to a, a, 
the Man of Steel soundtrack mm-hmm. as the music for my my movie. Even when I'm doing that, I'm still quiet because I'm in control of my mind. There's no no information that doesn't line up with my vision and anything that is left over from the day before I discard it. And I focus on what, what I want to focus on. Joe, let me ask you this because again, man, this time has flown by. It seems like we just got started. And look at the clock and oh my I'm, goodness. It's yeah. Amazing. So here's what I want to hear. I, I want to start tying a bow for people on this show. And here's mm-hmm. what I would love to hear from you. One thing, one top element that you would give as a, as a person to help themselves most in the physical realm, the mental realm, and then the emotional and or spiritual. Like, it, you know, some people have different definitions of spirituality than another. So I'd like to move them together. Physical, mental, emotional. One top thing from each and a brief description of why. And then I'll do the same. And we'll see how those line up so that people might have somewhere between three, if we match on all three, to six different things that they can take from this show and they can start building themselves from the ground up, from the inside out, just like we've talked about today. Is it just one word or can I expound upon it a little bit? Absolutely. No, expound upon it. It's sort of one <laughs> word or concept. Okay. On a little bit, physical, mental, and then emotional slash spiritual. So physical, I'd say do anything. That's, that's what I would say. Do anything. Don't get caught up in what you think you should be doing. Do anything. It's movement. It's, it's the psychomotor domain is what we talk about in physical education. And so do something. You're being intentional about doing something. That's one thing. That's how, that's how you start. Don't worry about anything from that. Um, mental. I think mentally, I, I say intentionality. I th- I, intentionality is, is, is the key. If there's something that you, you need to focus on, focus on it. If there's something that you would like to learn mentally, just, to, just something simple. That intentionality is huge in your mental process again, because you're not, if you're just floating through life, you're just, your mind's just drifting. So anything that you have to be intentional about do that. It could be, it could be playing uh, a card game, but you're just practicing intentionality. And I think emotionally I learned that and it's kind of combining those, those two things emotionally. Um, I read a book, by a guy, I can't remember his name right now off the top of my head, but he said the book was called The Obstacle is the Way. And it was, he talked about how if there is something that is in your way, and in this case, for my example, if there's something emotional that's getting to you, there is something significant on the other side of that emotion that you need to get to. So you have to face that emotion and you need to use both the physical, do something and do something new, (laughs) like do something and think on something intentional, do something and be intentional, something and intentional that is directed at that 
specific emotion and think about it and think about stop and think what's on the other side of this. Cause that's the way the obstacle is the way there's something on the other side of that for you. So if you're, if you don't want to exercise, I told my, I told my wife this the other day, she said, I have to go exercise, but I don't really want to. And I said, that's exactly why you have to hmm. because there's something that's telling you not to do it. There's a reward on the other side. That's why you don't want to do it because that's human nature. So why the reason you don't want to is the exact reason why you have to do it. And so emotionally it would be the obstacle is the way. So do something, be intentional and the obstacle, there's a reward on the other side of that obstacle for you. And I think that all, that all ties together spiritually because wow. your mind, your mind, will and an emotion, they're all tied up together. And that's, that's the spiritual realm where you, you're able to create, you're able to become everything that you were created to be. That's where it is. It's, it's on the other side of the obstacle, the obstacle. It's the thing that's, that's keeping you from moving towards, uh, um, not being moving towards limitations. Like that's literally what it is when you don't move, you're moving toward your, you become limited. And so and when you're not thinking about something intentionally, you're moving towards chaos in your mind. And so spiritually that's, you tie those things together and whatever it is that's challenging you right now, the, the if it's somebody that I just can't be, I just, I just don't like being quiet. Like you were saying, I don't like being quiet try it and find out what the reward is on the other side. Wow. Dude, those are great. Those are great. I hope all the people listening will write those down. And basically, you know, that's the starting point. So now let me give you my mirror three, if you will, in those same categories. So for physical, I was thinking about this as you were talking, my physical thing is consistency. And what I mean by that is consistency of action, because there's so many times, whether you're, in the gym or whether you're on the workspace floor or no matter what it's doing in the physical world, consistency leads to habits. Habits leads to strength. And if those habits are physical, they're physical strengths. And so what used to be hard becomes easy. So for mm. me, that would be, it would be consistency of action. And obviously the better actions we choose to be consistent in, the better our results will be. So that would be that one. On mental, I, I actually switched this from the, the emotional, spiritual into the mental after listening to you talk, Joel. And so here's what I got for the mental single most important thing that I could give one person. It would be to understand that we are conscious creators. Hmm. We are in control of what we can control. Now there are things that we have no control over, but at the end of the day, so much of our future is based on what we do now. And that starts in the mind and ends with action. The action is an end piece from our, from our thoughts of saying, I'm going to be conscious in this moment to know what I want, which is what you talked about earlier, to go get what I want, to believe that it's possible, that my potential is there. And by being in that mental state and expectation of the, that greatness, the next inspired action always shows itself. So that would be my one for mental. And then the last one for spiritual and emotional for me would be a two-part thing. One is the new thing I'm discovering that silence or that meditation or quieting the mind to direct the mind. That would be one because it's just been so powerful for me to feel the relief that that brings me. 
And then the second thing is the, is the age-old concept of love. Now, you can tie that into emotional and spiritual, but to me, we resonate best from a frequency of love and gratitude. And the more we place that in our attention, as you had mentioned, you know, what we focus on, we get, the more that we are going to express the fruits of that love and that connection. And it only makes everything better. Love never makes anything worse, right? So right. those those would be my, th my three would be consistency, uh, being a conscious creator, and then silence and love. So oh, those my, are awesome. I, I like that. Between those six, dude, we, we've, uh, We've, we've given solved all the issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, here's my last question for you. And I mm -hmm. probably should have made it my first because I've been, ever since I saw it, I've been absolutely, you know, have a man crush on your logo for your podcast. I need to know the history of how that hilt logo came with the, the hoodie and then you've got the hilt shadow over your face. I'm like, dude, where did that come from? What was the inspiration of that? Let's let's uh, wind up our show with that. And if you haven't seen it, everybody, you've got to go to <laughs> systems.com or check out Joel's podcast, um, the, the hilt podcast by Joel Patrick, and check that logo out. But tell me the story of the logo. So the, the sore logo, I have a friend named Josiah out in Colorado. And his wife, Libby, I knew I liked swords and I was coming up with a name. I was trying to come up with a name for my, my brand. And everybody was like, well, you, they believe that I can make it, make it a big thing. This can, this can be big. So you want it to be simple and you want it to be, uh, to the point. And so his wife, Libby knew that it was that I like swords. And she said, well, what about the hilt? And Josiah, he's a very excited guy. So he starts talking to me about the, the hilt and it started to make sense for me because a lot of people, when they think about going into battle, they think about the blade because the blade delivers the blow and the blade kind of wins the battle, but it's the hilt, the parts that make up the hilt. It's how you handle that, that, gives you the ability to execute. And so I went with it. I said, the hilt makes so much sense. Um, I overlaid it over my face. I did all that myself. I have a friend that's going to work on the art for me and make it a little bit cleaner, but I laid it over my face. I don't think I changed it, dude. I, that's <laughs> one of the coolest images I have ever seen in my life. I appreciate that. Uh, but it makes sense for me because the, the, I want to give people the knowledge to execute. And what I, my, my new catchphrase for my podcast is to tell people wield this knowledge with intent. And so they have the hilt go out, wield it with intent. And that's my, that's how it all came to be. Beautiful. How did you come up with the idea of putting the image or the, I guess the, the light shadow of the hilt over your face with the hoodie. Where did that come from? Um, it was just, it. I thought it looked cool. Like I'd, I'd love to say that I was, Oh, the artistic part of it in this, in this, I have a friend, my friend Paul is in art school right now. And he's always talking to me about all the art and shadows and all this other stuff. And I'm like, dude, I do movement and, mental training. I have no clue what you're talking about. I just thought it looked cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> you killed it, man. You killed it. Just like you did on this podcast. I got to say, Joel, this is one of the uh, most fresh, inspiring, just absolutely catapulting conversations that I've had in a long, long time. And I cannot thank you enough. I know that you're two hours later, your time, it's 9.15 p.m. Your time, 7.15 p.m. here. So you gave up time with your family for me and for us, and you gave up your heart and soul. And I just had a time, like, I am so energized right now. I'm ready to go lift and work <laughs> and kill it. And, uh, and I just cannot thank you enough for the time that you've shared with me tonight. Well, I appreciate it. I consider you part of my family. You have, um, you and Shauna have been good to us and we, we miss you guys. And I'm glad that I could be a part of uh, your journey in this. And I hope we get to do this again on both on mine and your podcast. Many, many more and in person, in person visits. Yes. I'm coming up yes. for some fishing and you're coming down here for fishing. Some, yeah. Job interview with, you and, with you and your company, a job interview and stuff like that. Just throw that out there once yeah. in a while. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Good, man. Good. Well, listen, you go, you go get to your family, and I cannot wait for us to reconvene. All right. All right, brother. Thank I love you. you. I'll talk again. to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.